Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 98, verses 4 through 6. Once you've turned there, if you will, grab your hymnal out again. Turn right back to where we just sang, Joy to the World, hymn number 87. Allow me to read this passage of Scripture. Psalm 98, verses 4 through 6. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, today as we focus on you and the wonderful gift that you've given us, that that we celebrate at Christmas, the coming of your Son, Jesus. Lord, help our hearts be filled with joy to such an extent that we cannot help but to shout these wonderful songs of praise. Lord, thank you for, Lord, inspiring people to to write these hymns. And Lord, for the message that they give us that are so scriptural. Lord God, us in our study today. Fill our hearts with praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this Christmas season, I am going to be sharing a series of messages based on some of our old Christmas carols. Today, we'll be looking at Joy to the World, which we have just sung, hymn number 87. Allow me just to read this. I know you just sang it, but Can I be honest with you, when we sing, sometimes we're really not focusing on the words like we should. Now, if you remember, uh, this song has some repeats in it. It repeats some of the words over and over at the end of each uh, stanza. So I kind of edited those out. So allow me to read this. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Why would I even think about using a hymn as the center point of my message? Well, hopefully by the time we get through with this series, you'll understand that many, if not most, of our old hymns are basically scriptures written to music. And we see that uh, uh, this hymn, this carol, it's based on uh, Psalm 98 and the passage that I just read, but it also is based on many other passages of Scripture that I will share with you today. But the inhabitants of this world are not finding a lot of joy, and they haven't for many decades, even centuries, and even millennials. You know, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came in the form of a child, the world was in great turmoil, the Romans had control over much of the known world. Uh, there was a decree that was sent out for the world to be taxed. Joseph and his wife Mary went to Bethlehem because they were of the house of David. And they got there and they found no room in the inn. We don't really know exactly why. We can kind of say, well, there's an influx of people coming into town. I'm going to get the best rate I possibly can for what little room I have. And so the innkeeper looked at Mary and Joseph and said, sorry, there's no room, it's all booked up, it's all sold out. 
not wondering about her own condition. You know, we do understand that one of these innkeepers said, I don't have any room inside, but there's this shelter out back that is basically there for the animals, and there's a manger. Little did he know that the Savior of the world would be born that night in a manger. So we see uh, maybe a greedy innkeeper saying, sorry, there's no room. I'm going to make all I can off of what I have. But then you also have a king, King Herod. He hears about uh, this newborn child, this newborn king to be born. The Magi came through and said, where is he, the, the king of Jerusalem, the new king that was being born? And so he didn't like the thought of having a rival king, so he sent out a decree for all the babies, male children, of a certain age to be slaughtered. So there was no peace, there's no joy, but there's great weeping in the land during that time. But thank goodness there were some that were excited about that day when Jesus came. Not long after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple to dedicate him. And there's a man and a woman there. And they were so excited. How they knew that this was the Messiah, we don't know. But we see Simeon and a woman named Anna. And they shared their messages of joy. Simeon was a devout man. And somehow or another, God had shared with him that he would not die until he saw the Savior. The coming gift of God. And here's what Simeon says when he holds the child. I can always imagine that Simeon just kind of went over and just grabbed Jesus out of Mary's arms and kind of maybe even lifted him up to heaven. And here's what message of joy he shared. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Then Anna also shared her joy as well, found in Luke chapter 2, verse 38. At that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all who were, with, who were looking for the redemption of Israel. Then we know on that night when Jesus was born, angels came to the shepherds. There's no evidence that the shepherds were looking for a newborn king or, or the Messiah, but for God chose to choose them to share this wonderful message of his gift of salvation. And so the angels came and they celebrated with a Hosanna praise out in the, on the hillside with these angels, uh, with the shepherds, and then the shepherds said, we must go see what this is all about. And so they went into Bethlehem and found the baby lying in the manger. And here's what happened. Luke chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. That leads me to this wonderful old Christmas carol, Joy to the World. It's written by Isaac Watts about 350 years ago. We have some wonderful hymns that we declare each and every time that we come into the sanctuary. So about 350 years ago, Isaac Watts, I believe, was inspired to write this. 
I believe that God filled his heart with joy. And he wrote this as a, as a message of, sal, uh, of, of praise to the Lord. And so let's kind of examine this a little bit stanza by stanza. The first stanza speaks of God's coming, the Lord's coming, his incarnation, his birth. And so we see joy to the world, the Lord is come. He has come. This, this babe has entered into this world and we are instructed on how we are supposed to respond to him. Now, what's the next verse? Let earth receive her king. There's a commandment through this song, and really throughout the scriptures, that the entire inhabitants, all of God's creation, are to receive this king, this wonderful gift of God, this savior of mankind. Now, we look and we see that he is Christ the Lord. We know that, but much of the world does not know that. And he's not just any king, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But as he comes, we know that he is also called Emmanuel, God with us. We see that part that says, let every heart. Well, that's kind of a generalized statement that all of God's creation should welcome this King, this Savior, this child of God into their hearts. But it's kind of too general. We know that the large majority of our world throughout the centuries and decades and millennials have not received him as their king. So then we see more of a personal call. Let every heart, not just let earth receive her king, but let every heart. That's personal. That means you and I are to receive and prepare him in our hearts. Make room for him. I wonder if Isaac Watts may have used that little line to kind of get at the, the innkeeper that did not give room for the Christ child. It really doesn't matter. What we do know is that every person is called to make room for Jesus. Now, to make room in every heart. Is your heart filled with Jesus? Is there room in your heart for the Savior? Are you too busy living your own life that you've not really made room for him? That's the question that this song and this scripture ask us today. See, Jesus doesn't want to just rule over our lives even though he is our ruler, our king, and our Lord. He also wants to abide in us. We've already been dealing with our study in First John and the word abide is there multiple times. We are to abide in Christ, and he abides in us through his Holy Spirit. So it's his desire to abide in us. That's why this song is so powerful. Let every heart prepare him room so that he, our Christ, our Messiah, God with us, can live in us. There's room for Christ in our hearts. So as a result of the coming of Christ, all of heaven and all of nature will rejoice. That's the last part of that stanza. And heaven and nature sings. We already know that the angels came to the shepherds. First there's one angel, and then a multitude of the heavenly hosts came singing praises to the Lord God. And so we know that heaven has already sang this hallelujah chorus that Christ has come. But so have others. Simeon, Anna, also sang their song of praise. may not have been in lyric form, but uh, 
They were shouting their hallelujahs to the Lord as well. Then it says, and let nature receive her king. Let heaven and earth sing, heaven and nature sing. Well, have you ever heard nature sing? Well, we're actually going to get to that part in just a few moments. But we know that when man sinned and was expelled from the Garden of Eden, that, man, that God caused the earth to no longer produce its fruit without the weeds, without the toil. And so the earth has really suffered because of man's sin. But then we look at this second stanza. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. See, Jesus did not come just to show us how to live. He came to reign over our lives. Jesus is our Lord, our King. He demands loyalty. He demands that we bow before him. And he wants us to be subject to him. We are to surrender to the Lordship of Christ and allow him to have full authority over our lives so that we would live in obedience to his will. And so he came as Lord, not just to set a good example, but he did that, but he came to be Lord of our lives. And so as we surrender our, our lives to the Lordship of Christ, he fills us with his abiding, and we're filled with his joy. And that leads us to that second line, let men their songs employ. Y'all notice that I don't sing in the choir, right? I don't have a gifted singing voice. I make a joyful noise to the Lord, and I can hit a note, but it doesn't always stay on tune. So am I supposed to let my songs employ? Definitely. See, when I sing, God hears a beautiful sound. He hears my heart. He doesn't hear my voice. He hears my heart. That's why I've encouraged each and every one of you to, to sing praises to the Lord. Not necessarily vocally, with lyrics, with music, but just like I did as I read Joy to the World. I've encouraged you to find a hymnal. We've got some old ones downstairs. If you'd like for me to try to dig out one for you, I'd be glad to. But as you're having your quiet time in the morning, and you want to sing some praises to the Lord, you may have a gifted voice, and you may want to just sing out loud. But here's what I do. Open up a hymnal and find a, a beautiful hymn of praise. And I sing, say it. I read it to the Lord. And that's my way of worship. Letting men their songs employ. And so we look and we see the next part. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains... Repeat the sounding joy. There's two ways of looking at this. One is that all the earth inhabited by men who are praising the Lord, there should be an echo throughout the land of the praise of joy. But actually, there's a different way of looking at this. A week before Jesus was crucified, on that Sunday, he entered in Jerusalem. We call it a triumphal entry. Because all the people were shouting the hallelujahs and praises to the Lord as he entered. Luke chapter 19, verses 38 through 40. Share about this. They were shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Then some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Listen to what Jesus said. But Jesus said, I tell you, if these become silent... 
the stones will cry out. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Do you think that Isaac Watts may have had that in his heart and mind when he wrote that little line? If we, as God's children, do not sing these songs of praise, if we do not in our hearts worship the Lord with joy and gladness, Jesus says that the rocks will cry out in our place. Do you really want a rock to take your place in praising God? Well, we see that unfortunately not everybody on the face of this earth is going to bow the knee and bow before Jesus and rejoice of his coming. But there will be a time where every knee will bow. Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 through 11 says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We did a study in the book of Revelations on Wednesday, finished it up about a month or so ago, and one of the things we understood was that all will stand before Jesus one day. Us, as the saved, will stand before him where we will have our hearts examined to see how faithful we were to the Lord and we will be welcomed in, into his glory. But those who have rejected him will stand before him as well and they will be condemned according to their sinfulness. Now, they will all at that point, even if they rejected him during the whole life that they lived on earth, at that time they will bow before him because he will be king of kings and lord of lords over them. Then we come to this third stanza. It speaks of Jesus who cleanses us from our unrighteousness. Let, no more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. We know that Jesus, as God with us, and as our Lord has commanded us to submit to his authority, but also to allow him to come into our hearts and lives to cleanse us of our sinfulness. How, how does he do that? Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, share. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil which is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I shared another verse probably a hundred times or more but it's a powerful verse, found in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That's what God wants to do. And so, yes, there's sin. Yes, there's sorrow. Yes, there are thorns infesting the ground. But see, Jesus did not wait until we got good enough for him to come. He realized that we needed this immediately. He knew that we need him as Savior. And so he did not wait 
for us to get good enough, far as the curse is found, it doesn't matter how great of a sinner you are or have been, Jesus didn't say, well, get your act cleaned up a little bit and maybe I'll come and save you. No, even in the midst of our sinfulness, he came. We find that in a part of what I call the Roman road of salvation, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we look and we see that in this passage, in this stanza, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And the curse is found in my heart, in your heart, and throughout the world. It's called sin. But he has come to make his blessings flow so that we, the unrighteous, would be filled and overcome and covered with his righteousness. According to the scriptures, Jesus, when he died, he placed his righteousness upon us. And then when he left and entered into heaven, he said, I will leave my Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he will dwell in you. And that is the righteousness of God now living in us. And so we look and we see this beautiful passage of Scripture in Psalm. The fourth stanza speaks of his glory, the coming of his glory with truth and grace. He rules the world with truth and grace. Kind of reminds us of a passage of Scripture John wrote back in the first chapter of John, talking about the incarnation of the deity of Christ. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Y'all do understand that grace and truth are not natural traits that we have, but they are natural to Jesus. They are his character. He is full of grace. It is his coming that showed us grace. He says, instead of your sinfulness that deserves death, eternal separation from the Father, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. So his gift of grace is to overcome the guilt of our sins. And so we see that he is grace. He is also truth. Jesus is truth. There is no lie in him. And we see even himself talking about this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Then he gives the world the evidence of his righteousness. Jesus died in our place so that we could have his righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, he, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, Jesus covers us with his righteousness through the blood that he shed on the cross, and then he fills us, implants his righteousness through his Holy Spirit. What more reason do we need to be able to sing these songs of joy than that? that our sinfulness, our unrighteousness has been forgiven and cleansed, and in its place we have the righteousness of Christ impu imputed, placed on our account, and then the Holy Spirit 
fills us with his righteousness, so now we have the righteousness of God in us. What more reason to rejoice? So as we rejoice, we need to spend the rest of our lives wondering, how could this one, how could he love us so much that he would die on the cross to give us salvation from our sins and eternal life? Well, we need to consider what righteousness is all about. It's the covering of our sins. It is so that God, when he looks upon us, he no longer sees the stain of our sins. Instead, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So we need to spend time wandering, pondering, and even rejoicing over his love. He makes the world, he rules the world with truth and grace, and he makes the nations prove what does the nations prove? The glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Are we proving to the world around us the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love? Easter is probably the most powerful time to share what Jesus has done for you and I by dying on the cross in our place. But Christmas is another wonderful time to share this message of salvation that God has sent his son Jesus to the earth to be our Savior, God with us, Emmanuel. You know, it may seem a little strange for me to focus a message, actually a series of messages on hymns. I'll be honest with you. Many, if not most, of our old hymns are simply scripture put to song. This is definitely one of those there's a trend in our world today to get rid of the hymnals, to plaster praise courses on the screens and on the walls. No hymnal to be found, and it's a rare occasion if the words on the screen are actually one of the old hymns. There's some wonderful praise courses. Don't get me wrong. I have no problem singing these wonderful praise courses. But I'm afraid that we're disposing of one of the most powerful tools the church has ever had, the hymnal. These wonderful old songs of praise, these hymns are scripture put to song. And it's a wonderful way for us to learn the scriptures. Maybe not verse by verse, but God has instilled in people like Isaac Watts to share through music the truths of his word. As we look at this, May we leave with hearts filled with this song, Joy to the World. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we are so thankful this time of the year where we're, our hearts are being filled with joy. Lord, simply because we're focusing more and more on that wonderful gift that you've given us through your son Jesus, his coming, God with us, Emmanuel. We know that it's later on that he actually dies in our place for our sins. But Lord, right now we are rejoicing that the gift has come. The gift of salvation is here. He now lives in our hearts through your spirit. Lord, now help us to be filled with this joy, joy unspeakable, but yet we can still sing it in songs like this, Joy to the World. Lord, may our hearts be filled with joy today and every day. 
And may we be looking for opportunities to share that joy with the many around us that do not have that joy. Lord, guide us as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.